Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Gabby Bernstein is the author of more than six best-selling books, including her latest Super Attractor, Methods for Manifesting a Life Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. That sounds pretty ambitious, but as you will hear from Gabby, pushing, controlling, and manic manifesting are actually the biggest blocks to harnessing your super attractor power. In fact, it is our ability to let go, to surrender and receive that allows abundance in the door. So often we think, when I have that thing, then I'll be happy. But in fact, it's the opposite. When we are happy, when we make living in alignment with joy our top priority, then what you desire will come flowing effortlessly. Gabby and I go way, way back. So in addition to some practical tools for learning to live in that alignment, there are some sweet bits in here about her evolution into motherhood and how we both handle our fears and hopes for the future. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. I was really, uh, have always been on a spiritual path. I, I believe that, that I came in knowing, and I think we all do. I think we all, we all do. I, mean, I see my son right now, my one-year-old looking up at the sky, waving, laughing to just, you know, to his friends up in, in the sky, <laughs> on the corners of the bedroom. Uh, it's really cool, actually. And I really encourage it. And I hope parents out there can encourage that behavior because you don't want to shut it down. That behavior, that connection, <laughs> the truth. So I was, I, I definitely was felt bo- uh, very connected. And that connection, that spiritual awareness was, was, was something that was brought into my life through my mother. My mother was a uh, meditator and followed the Guru Mai and the Siddha Yoga movement. So my mom would bring me to see Guru Mai and be named by her and and taught me to meditate and gave me the Guru Mai mantra, Soham, the Siddha Yoga mantra when I was 16 years old. So I had this spiritual backbone, but I also had a lot of fear and anxiety and depression and discomfort. So in my college years and shortly after, I became pretty uh, addicted to the outside world, really looking for my worthiness and, and safety in relationships and in my credentials and in just, oh, just a whole bunch of stuff, right? Like really looking outside and then, and then becoming, leaving, leaving college, I started a business as a PR, as a, owning a PR company at 21. So I really thought I was pretty cool. Uh that PR company represented nightclubs. The nightclub scene turned into a party scene, which turned into really severe cocaine addiction. So when I was 25 years old, I I had a awakening where I, on the floor of my studio apartment, coming down from drugs, said, 
on October 2nd of 2005, I looked at this stack of self-help books next to my bed thinking, okay, I really want that, but I don't have that right now. Uh, and I said a prayer. I said, I, God, universe, who's ever out there, I, I need a miracle. Then I heard my intuition say, get clean and you will live a life beyond your wildest dreams. That was the day I got sober. I've been sober for 14 and a half years now. My sobriety catapulted my spiritual connection and my faith and my my desire to teach as a spirit, to be a spiritual teacher, really. So early in my recovery, I was was speaking publicly, leading group coaching workshops, and mostly deepening my faith in my practices. And so now I've been for 14 and a half years, really, since that time, since my sobriety, I've been a spiritual teacher, an author, and a, and a woman on a devoted path to feel free. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, did you employ the 12-step program just out of curiosity? Yes. And do you feel that that was central, this kind of notion of kind of step three, surrender to a power greater than you or God as you understand it or him to be? I most recently had such a beautiful experience of just having something I was worrying about that I couldn't control that I just really quickly, just just so quickly said, God, take it. I, God, you'll show me what to do. I believe you'll show me what to do. And it felt, immediately felt so much relief. Like, God's just going to work it out for me. I'm good. I got this. God's working it out for me. And believing that, not just saying that, but believing that. And, you know, years and years and years of being a spiritual teacher, I've had many moments of, of relying on God. and But I've had many experiences where I've had to actually hit my head against the wall 10 times before I can turn to God. Whereas in this moment with this conflict, I just said immediately, God, take it. You got it. I'm good. So that was really pro- major progress, major pro- and, and, a, and, a, and a sign of my faith and my trust. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about, this is a central theme in all your work, but in Super Attractor, you talk about manifesting and kind of manic manifesting pushing or over pushing right right that's what you were bringing up yes um, versus surrender and and this is a really tough one for me personally because Mm. i love to manifest like this is you know and and we're both students of of wayne dyer and um oftentimes in manifesting from the end which is often kind of my approach to it you know that notion of assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled um, that has helped me along the way at the same time what is the balance between essentially pushing and trusting the universe I guess I would say that you know a lot of people might be frustrated of like well I'm, you know, I surrendered and nothing's happening to me. Right. Do I not need to engage in right work or right action to actually accomplish what I, the vision that I have set out to be? Or can I really surrender and leave it to a power greater than me? What is that equation, Uh, that balance? How do you square those things? Well, I created a method in the book called the spiritually aligned action method. 
Mm-hmm. But before I teach that to you people, I want everybody to hear it and follow it. I write a lot in the book about how pushing and controlling and manic manifesting is one of the are the biggest blocks to our super attractor power, our ability to be a magnet for what we desire, our ability to let go and allow and receive we block it with that controlling energy. And if you think about it this way, it's like no one, nothing sexy about that controlling energy. Nothing is, you know, you don't want to hire that controlling needy person. You don't want to date that person. You don't, it's like the universe doesn't respond to that either. So we have to learn to practice being, making our alignment, our highest priority. And then to your point, it's not that we're going to just surrender and surrender more. And then just the universe just gives us stuff. It's that we, do take action. We do write our books. We do do the podcast. We do show up, but we do it in spiritual alignment. When we take action from a place of spiritual alignment, we can trust that the universe is taking care of it. When we take action from a place of ego, we can trust that it will not unfold the way we would like. So what happens with spiritually aligned action, and this method is really beautiful. It's something I've been applying throughout my entire life, particularly in my career, is that the Spiritually aligned action method is first step is you really witness and recognize the ways that you are out of alignment. So if you have a negative thought on repeat or a belief system that that well, really a negative thought on repeat is a belief system. So what is that? What is that negative thought on repeat and how does it make you feel is step one? Excuse me, I'm teaching you a different method right now by accident. (laughs) There's two good methods. Let me keep going with this one. This is the choose again method, okay? And then the second step, so you're in that repeated pattern all the time and you want to really stop it and you want to turn it. So the first step is to witness that negative thought pattern and and call it by its name. There you are, my fear again, and, and and really feel it. What does it make me feel like? Second step is to forgive yourself for having that thought because The moment that you forgive yourself for having the thought, you are no longer the thought. When you have a thought that you keep thinking, it becomes a belief, Abraham Hicks says. So that belief is who you think you are. You think you're lacking. You think you're not worthy. You think that you're not good enough. You think you're too fat. You think all the stories that you think about yourself. You forget that you are love. So when you forgive yourself for having the thought, you separate yourself from the thought. You you become one with God again. You're no longer the thought. You're no longer your fear. You're no longer your ego. It's major. That's the most valuable, important step. You can also just forgive the thought altogether, which takes its power away. And then the third step is to choose again. This is the fun part. When you start to reach for the next best feeling thought. So uh, we reach for the thoughts that feel good, that we feel connected to, and that we believe. We have to believe them for, for us to continue to reach our way out. And it's a fun practice. So that's the choose again method. Yeah, no, that's great. And and it ties into something that you talk about, which I, I really um, responded to. And it's so simple on some level, um, but I suppose hidden in plain sight, which is this notion of feeling good. Um, yeah. And choosing to feel good. And maybe you could just talk about how one activates that ability to feel good and why that is important so the entire book super is a book on how to feel good yeah well the subtitle says manifest a life beyond your wildest dreams it's that of course but it's because it's a it's how to feel good and when you feel good you become a super attractor i i wrote it because i wanted to feel good uh, so so ultimately when 
when we have these experiences I, of, of leaning into joy, practicing the choose again method, doing whatever it takes to get back into alignment, AKA feeling good, then we get back into that super attractor energy, that power, that frequency of love. That's when we begin to open up to creative possibilities. That's when we begin to listen. That's when we hear. But we often think, we get it wrong often when we think, when I have that thing, I'll be happy. It's the opposite. It's when I'm happy, what I desire will come to me effortlessly. So we got to get that straight. So this is a beautiful method in Super Attractor that I teach teach the reader how to apply. It's the spiritually aligned action method. And, and the first step in this method is to make sure that whatever you desire is backed with love and service. So let's do it, Jeff. What do you desire right now? What do you want? Anything. Yeah, I really want to connect and be very, very present in my connections with people. Okay. So that's definitely backed with love and service, but tell me why. Mm, because sometimes I, I tend to, uh, I'm like consumed with thoughts and I'm kind of like not, I'm sort of off in outer space thinking about the future or thinking about the next thing right, instead right. of being right there with my children or my wife or a friend yes. or anyone, even that you know, I was at so, a great Christmas party last night and I was really good and focused there and I came home feeling great, but I have yeah. trouble with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's back with love and service because it's, it's creating a connection between you and loved ones. It's making you feel great. When you feel great, you have more energy. When you have more energy, you can bring more greatness to the world. Okay. So we're clear. This is a desire that's back with love and love and service. Now the second step is faith. Okay. So do you have, you have a lot of faith so that you're pretty easy. I mean, you're easy to workshop here, but having faith that you can stick to it, having faith that, that the universe will deliver, having faith that this is something that becomes a habit, right? Second step of having faith is crucial because we need to take action from that place of faith. Okay. Now in your case, the next, the third step is to take spiritually aligned action. So let's just say you're hanging out with Phoebe and you're like pretending kind of to, to be in presence because you want to be in presence and you're not in spirit, you're not in love, service and faith, but you're just like doing it to do it. Right. Right. Phoebe's going to feel that and be like, you know, dad, you know, take it somewhere else. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Dad, I got to get back on my Instagram. Bye. So, but the second that you make that, take that action, backed with step one and two, love, service, and faith, she'll feel that. She'll feel that so differently. And the connection will will occur, mm. like last night, mm. right? Yeah. In this case, the, the, the final step is patience. So in your case, you can actually have immediate results, which is nice. But in the case of many other people's desires, it's something that what they want to see appear, right? Or you can have patience with yourself because you're not going to do it all the time. So you're going to be patient with yourself, right? Uh, but in the case of wanting to track something into your life, be patient because as of course a miracle says, those who are certain of the outcome can afford to wait and wait without anxiety. So we want to be really free in our desires and let them go. And in, in the energy of patience, we are very surrendered and that's where we want to be. You know, listen, we're living in times where we have to regulate. We have to regulate our energy. You know, Yogi Bhajan, all of the work that he brought to the to the West uh, was because he had prophecies about the times that we're in now. 
and he saw the shitstorm that we were landing in and he and he left us with these technologies so that we and these sutras that we need to begin to live by i'm actually writing a new book doing my modern riff on the five sutras for the aquarian age and they're so important you know understand compassion or you'll misunderstand the times i'm not saying them in the right order but there's a way through every block uh, under, uh, uh, there's the vibrate with the cosmos and the cosmos will clear the path. And there's, there's the most beautiful sutras and these sutras he left us with were so crucial for where we're at because we're living in what he referred to as a pressure cooker. And he, and he said some scary things, you know, he said one third, one third, one third, one third will, will go mad. One third will, I think he Commit said, suicide I, oh, or something, that's right. right? <laughs> he literally, yeah. that's exactly what he said. It's, it's yeah. hard to repeat, but that's what he said. And it's scary. Yeah, total. <laughs> and one third will wake up. Yeah. So anyone listening here is that third that's waking up. And it's time that we make a commitment to our inner life so that we can be steady and strong and resilient and have methods and tools to regulate our energy, we are living in the craziest times. Yeah. We have, you know, I've been doing some talks with Deepak in the la- in the fall, I did some talks with Deepak, and you know, it's scary when your spiritual teacher is sitting on the stage saying, this is the end, Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he's not, he's, he's, he's not trying to sugarcoat anything. So I wanna be really positive and uplifting, but I wanna posit- positively uplift you all by saying we gotta do our part as spiritual activists and change our energy. Yeah. Um, I have a question that I've been really grappling with. Um, and I, and to be honest, I don't know if there's an answer because certainly science hasn't given us any insight to the nature of consciousness. In fact, science has done many, many great things, but not around consciousness per se. And I know that, you know, A Course in Miracles, which obviously has been very influential on you and me, um, essentially says that God is the love within you. That, you know, we have an infinite soul that is, that exists outside of form and location and time and space that is characterized by love and experience through compassion and empathy um, and charity and all the virtues. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that's a very hopeful vision of consciousness of the soul that it is imbued with love on the same time you know i've also you know read the untethered soul by michael singer and you know been more into buddhism which essentially you know creates this subject object um distinction that as you were saying we are not our thoughts we are not our um objects that we see through our five senses we are not our feelings or our emotions we're not even our body right and we are consciousness or the soul depending what tradition you come from Mm -hmm. and that soul that consciousness is neutral on some level it's Mm -hmm. not love or hate it isn't something that is just outside of time and space it's infinite and it has the ability to focus on different things consciousness has a focus function and it can focus on love and live a life that is high that is in alignment with these higher principles but it essentially at its core is neutral and i've been kind of grappling between those two ideas of like is the soul actually love or is the soul kind of just neutral and we have the free will to focus 
on love or hate or anger or charity. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't well, expect I, you to know necessarily. I, I listen, I love the, the, the belief system that A Course in Miracles teaches that only love is real. Mm -hmm. So we have free will. We can choose to, to separate from love. We can choose to detour into fear. That's a choice. But when we're living in our soul, when we're living in our truth, Satnam, truth is my name, when we're living in our our connection, when when we're living as uh, aligned with God, we're living in love. I believe love is who we are. I believe that 100%. I think that the reason that we do things that are not in love is because of the imprinted fears that have been placed upon us from birth from birth into the present. And I think in this human condition, we have many, many uh, obstacles that we're faced with to have the choice of how do we want to come back to love? Or are we going to stay stuck in fear? Now, it's be, being human is difficult. It's, uh, it's a difficult experience because there's this pressure because it, under, underlying pressure, because in our highest truth, we know we are love, but we but everything takes us away from it. Yeah. I mean, I heard Bruce Lipton say that 97% of our quotidian behavior is essentially unconscious. Like we're mm -hmm. from the most banal thing of like the turn signal, you know, in right, your car right, right. to things that aren't that banal or that can be very serious, like implicit right. bias and things that we've wound up because our grandparents said something or we saw something on TV when right. we were a kid. And I wonder how you go about becoming aware of the negative patterns around fear. How, where do you kind of... I've become an expert in this. Yes, help, uh, help us. <laughs> well, well, listen, first and foremost, you have to be brave enough to wonder. Because if you are unwilling to even wonder what's there then you're never going to find it. It won't show up for you. Right. So that's number one. And then when you become brave enough to wonder, you, you, you may want the support of a book or a guide or a teacher or a therapist or a psychiatrist, whoever you need to, to help you help guide you to safely look closer at the, the belief systems that live beneath your patterns, because ultimately those belief systems are based on energetic disturbances. These energetic disturbances have have occurred often at ch during childhood. When we have that traumatic event, whatever it may have been, it creates a protective belief system. And that protective belief system is how we run our lives so that we don't have to feel that pain again. When ultimately, if we just felt the pain all the way through, meaning not that we have to remember something or relive it, but really allow it to move through us completely we can be free from it so that we can move on. I've been studying a lot of Peter Levine's work and he invented somatic experiencing. Right. Yep. And this, this work is just, I mean, everyone in the world should study his work. It's so profound. It's a, and it's it, about resilience ultimately. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I, I don't, I'm not, can't um, pretend to be an expert in somatic healing, but there's some very interesting distinctions that he makes between essentially humans and, and animals. Correct. And essentially animals, we both have a fight or flight instinct, kind of the reptilian brain, but, but that is often very much connected to 
potential physical danger. Right. Um, and we can run away or we can fight, basically. But so much of our trauma is not physical. It's emotional. Mm-hmm. And we l- store it in our bodies. Where we animals, freeze. they just run it out and right. shake it out. We um, freeze. We don't mm-hmm. shake. And the interesting right. thing is, is that uh, when you begin to face those traumas, you actually do begin to shake. Yeah. Uh, so I've had this really cool experience now of just just shaking, shaking, <laughs> shake, yeah. shaking when I do EMDR, shaking when I meditate. But I know it's a good thing because it means that the movement, the energy is moving out of me. So yeah. th- when you face it, it moves. But when, yes, an animal can play dead and then just shake and run off. We it freezes within us. It stores within us. So we don't shake it off. We think we're done because we've moved on, but we never moved on because it's still living in our physical body. And then we live in the state of fight or flight because we're constantly protecting ourselves from having to feel that pain. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a sick cycle. And it's something that I think so many people, there's such a stigma around trauma. Uh, and so many people are so terrified that they don't even want to touch it. Me even talking about this right now may be triggering somebody. Yeah. And so I'm in this interesting predicament right now where I've been really openly talking about my trauma recovery. And I know that it's uh, I know that it's activating people because it just does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I also don't want to hide it because I don't want to I don't want to perpetuate the stigma and the silence. Yeah. So there's a lot going on here. But but more importantly, I also want to guide people to the ways that they can become free because you can I can see traumas in all people and the ways that they react to things. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've been very, very brave and outspoken about your own, um, your own trauma. And I, I feel that that is, um, incredibly helpful for people because I feel that, you know, people look up to you and then they can see their own story, uh, in yours and feel okay and lose the shame. Um, so I think that's wonderful that you're doing that. I'm wondering how being a mother has changed, I don't know, your spiritual practice or your outlook on life, God, philosophy, anything? It strengthened my faith Hmm. because I definitely have, well, one, because I going through postpartum depression, I had to rely on my faith more than anything I've ever known Mm. in the the darkest, darkest experience I've ever known. And I just, I just have so much love and compassion for anyone suffering with mental illness because I know what it is now. Mm. And I just, oh my God, but God was there. So I, I think that really strengthened my faith more than anything. The other bit of my having, having to care for life and how overwhelming that is you have to have faith. You have to turn it over daily. You can't, you have to surrender, surrender, surrender more. Because if you start to get into all the things that could happen or this or that, I mean, you're just going to, you will never be free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also holding a child. I mean, I put my son to sleep at night. My, my husband gives him the bottle and I hold him to fall asleep. Mm. And I hold him every night and I say prayers to ask the angels to surround him and protect him. And I just hold him so closely. And feeling that deep, deep love is just like, that's God. That That is, that's love. It's yeah, unreal. I, yes. And it. I think there are other things that can help people to achieve that same sense that I am not the center of the universe. It's that it's humbling in the sense of like, I, I felt when I have three girls now and that with each one, I became a farther, farther 
electron on the outside of the、mm-hmm. shell, looking、mm-hmm. in. I was no、mm-hmm. longer the nucleus, I guess, of my own、mm-hmm. life. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that is,、um, I think that's very. I think it's beautiful. I think, I think it helps think... you live a life of service. Zach says it best. My husband, who you're friends with, he says it best. He's like, you know, all that, all the stuff I would do on the weekends or at night or whatever, you know, when I was when I didn't have a kid. He's like, I would do all these things that, or I'd have a lot of time that I'd be looking for things to do, or I'd be kind of filling it with like YouTube or reading or whatever, you know.、Uh, now I spend that with my kid.、Yeah. It's like, you know, even if I was doing a creative project or something, it's like this is the most fulfilling I could I could. Fulfilled, I could feel being with this person. By the way, my son's obsessed with Zach because、hmm. Zach really embodies presence. He's very, very good, very present. He is. He is for、yeah. sure.、Um, you know, I, that's another interesting、um, component to your life and mine.、Um, that、uh, you know, my my, I'll, I'll preface it with my grandparents that were、uh, my grandfather. Worked every single day of his life until I think he was eighty-eight, and basically died on the fax machine. Way after、mm. faxes were outdated,、mm. <laughs> to be honest.、Mm. And、mm. my my grandmother would essentially kick him out of the apartment every morning in Chicago with the same line. She loved to repeat herself, and I'm becoming her.、Um, and she used to say, "I married you for life, but not for lunch. So get to the office and get out of here." You know,、uh-huh. and. and、um, And she always used to warn me: never work with your spouse. Of course, I did not heed that advice. So you know, I work with Skyler.、Um, we have our own lanes, which is nice. But but I work with her, and you work with Zach. And how do you navigate?、Right. How do you navigate that? Well, working with my husband is probably one of the greatest gifts that we've been given. It just really works for us. We're we're better together even now,、mm-hmm. as as partners in our in our business. The best way that it's supported both of us is that it's. Allowed me to really be in my gift, and and him as well.、Mm-hmm. So we looked at our org chart about a month ago with our COO, and I looked at it and I said, okay, I'm not the CEO of this company.、Mm-hmm. Like Jessica, you're the COO. You know, Lindsay, you're the CMO. Zach, you're the CEO. And I said, I'm still at the top of the org chart. I don't really give a shit about that, but that's where I'm at. That's where they put me.、Mm-hmm. But I said, I'm the untethered force of light. <laughs> I love it. I want that title. God damn it! <laughs> I know, baby. You should get that title. You can. You can have that title. But Zach has allowed me to have that title because I trust him so deeply, and he's created such a structure and a team and a world that I live in now, where I can really be finally, after 15 years of sweat, sweat and blood,、mm. I can now truly be、uh, in my art. Yeah, that's beautiful. So、uh, you've had a lot of. Teachers that have influenced you over time. I'm curious, do you have? How do you grow now? Now that you are the teacher,、uh, but you still need to grow, right? We never end that process because that would be Jeff, quite boring. I have like two to three therapy sessions a week, baby. And those, <laughs> now you might think, okay, wow, she sounds like a headcase. Well, no,、yeah. I am a teacher, so I have to be learning. But the way that I learn is through my own experience of healing. Because when I, my mission is to heal, so I can continue to teach others how to do the same. So I am my classroom. So in therapy, 
uh, staying up, you know, I don't watch, you know, bullshit on the TV. I watch Peter Levine videos and I watch Bessel van der Kolk and I am, you know, and, you know, Gabor Mate and I'm learning about how we can regulate and I'm learning, learning, learning all the time. Uh, so, no, there's countless ways that I am constantly in connection with growth. So I have to be a humble student first. And I got, I got, I got, I've done so, so much beautiful work and I still have such great practice ahead of me. I've learned a lot from my therapists <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, because they've cared for me in deep ways and they've taught me. And, and as a result, I've been able to see what, I've, you know, it's interesting. It's one thing to go through an experience and it's another thing to go through an experience and know what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting to be the sort of the witness of, oh, this is what those, you know, shaking is about. And that's what, ah, that's what he talked about when he said it was like a pressure cooker and it was on a slow release. You know what I mean? Mm. So really living it is a really powerful way to know it Yeah, and speak truth with it. And you, and you maintain that level of curiosity and you know, you, you never really get tired of this, do you? I mean, you're, you just put no. this book out and you're writing another book. <laughs> I'm writing another one. And I was just on the phone with my agents about what the next one is. You know, it's that was this morning. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of books in me, Jeff. And feel free to let me know off the line which one I should write next. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a month to figure it out. No, I'm just kidding. I can figure out when I want to. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm here to teach. This is what I'm here to do. I'll be doing this. You and I will be doing this when we're 90. Yeah, I know it. You know, I've been, it was actually very, odd and that last night I was reading um, a letter that Ram Das wrote to last night wow yeah and I got it huh. and I got a text from a friend who told me that he had passed and um, that's course, happened to me so many times yeah, yeah. and uh, I was reading a letter that he wrote it was called a letter to Rachel um, it's actually in the next week's podcast and I'm reading it just because it's such a there's God in this writing um yeah where he's writing to a couple that lost a daughter at a very young age and he's mm. um I'll send it to you it's beautiful it's yes, called a, le a letter to Rachel mm. um and um and he's guiding them through that grief and helping right. them find meaning in that suffering um yeah. But I look at like th those lifetimes, and of course, he has passed into infinite time, right? Um, but as as incredible examples for us who are still kind of in the midst of our growth and and learning and teaching. Um, right. He was a beautiful, beautiful man. Now he's hanging out with his buddy Wayne, and they're they're real good. Now. <laughs> they're real good now. They're really good. Yeah, yeah. No, I have had experiences like that. Kenneth Wachnick was a very beautiful Course in Miracles teacher, and the night before he died, I was watching like binge watching Ken Wapnick videos on YouTube, and then the next morning I found that he died, and I was like, "Wow, hmm. you were teaching me, man." That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, we um, we've been in a lot of places. I was thinking about it this morning as I was coming into the studio of the various different mountaintops that we've traveled yeah. and yeah, Brooklyn fun. real estate tours yep. and backstages yep. 
all yeah. over the place and uh, even if I can name drop for a second, Oprah's house and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> other places. And I will, uh, and you know, it's, I, um, I've always held your opinion in such high esteem. And I was thinking about one particular um, occasion. We were on a panel together in Squaw Valley. You'll never remember this because it was so obscure, but it meant so was much. Was it you, me, and Sean Corn? I was think that so. A... Yeah, yeah, that's okay. great. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Mm-hmm. And um, But it meant so much to me at the time. And I don't think we've ever talked about it, but someone was asking me about Wanderlust and, and I think the question was like, did you ever think that it would become, you know, this thing and have all these events and a movement and all this kind of stuff. And I think I said, I never made it this far in my dreams Mm. and you Mm. were to my right and you just sort of like gasped and you said, Oh, Jeff. And I, there was something in my head of my ego going off and said, I just moved Gabby Bernstein. Yeah, you did move <laughs> And me. it was, yeah. it meant, and I was just like, ah, ah this is like, <laughs> it was such a, like a wonderful feeling mm. and so supportive and very, yeah. very loving. And you've always been that nice, way. <laughs> we have a nice, loving friendship and I love you so much. And I think that, I think that people... I hope people can find their relationships like this where they can not talk for a few months and pick up like it's yesterday. And I just, oh, I appreciate you very much. I love you too. It was so nice to reconnect with Gabby. She is truly someone who is able to align with her ideals and then show up fully and abundantly. As she says, when we take action from a place of spiritual alignment, we can trust that the universe is taking care of us. When we take action from a place of ego, we can trust that it will not unfold the way we like. If you want to learn more about her work, including her latest book, Super Attractor, you can visit GabbyBernstein.com. That's it for today. We have many more fascinating conversations coming up with brilliant minds in the world of wellness. So hit that subscribe button to get new episodes every Tuesday. And don't forget to check our latest video courses at onecommune.com. I'm Jeff Krasnow, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.